and we are not immune uh, from this in the United States. Uh, we had our first reported case um, in Massachusetts, and, uh, and now there are cases reported in uh, California, Washington State, a presumed case in Florida. Um, there are cases of monkeypox in the U.S. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. We're back again for another edition of EMS One Stop, and the subject of the day is monkeypox. You've been reading about it, you've been hearing about it, and so, as always, I'm going to bring the experts in to help me discuss the monkeypox issue, and maybe we're going to drift into COVID because we think it's gone away. No, it hasn't. We'll talk about that in a minute. Welcome to Dr. Alex Isakoff, who is the Professor of Emergency Medicine from the Emory School of Medicine. Alex, welcome. And also, what other titles do you wish to choose today? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be here with you. Um, so today I'll be the director of our section of pre-hospital and disaster medicine uh, in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Emory. Um, I think uh, you have an EMS audience uh, for today, and that one fits real well. Excellent. And also, for full disclosure, I did a count up. We probably have been on the same pre-hospital meeting with NHTSA for about 150 episodes of or editions of that meeting. We've uh, been up really early. Well, I've been up really early in the morning. You haven't, because, of course, yeah, it's a the, night. Uh, I on. have the benefit of being on the East Coast. I have the benefit of being on the East Coast for that. I agree with you, Rob. And, you know, it, I'm going to reflect on this. Um, those 150 hours were some of the best 150 hours I spent uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I'll let you speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and eventually we'll, we'll have a podcast with all the members. So what we're talking about, folks listening out there, is that uh, during the height of the pandemic, every Tuesday and every Thursday, a group representing the national associations, um, the those that had a interest in, I guess, guiding and leading the response to the pandemic met under the auspices of OEMS. I was the AAA rep. Alex was the, the CPAR. Uh, NITEC, uh, which is the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Centre group. There you go. You didn't think I'd remember that, did you? But obviously, to, uh, to provide some, some expert advice. And so Alex is one of these people, and I have to tell you all also that I know Alex very, 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 very well now, but I've never physically met you. How's that? Yeah, How does that stunning? work, right? Isn't that, isn't that stunning? I mean, this is, I, uh, this is our new reality in Zoom. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I have to say, when we do met, I've met a number of people now that I've only known on Zoom for the last two years. And you have those sort of, oh, you're taller than I thought you were, um, oh, yeah. etc. Yeah. So, uh, but I look forward to, to that moment. Anyway, let's get on with the show. And we're going to talk about monkeypox. And uh, it's another thing that's hit our shores, you know, and I don't want us to go back down to the sort of COVID or oh, never happened to us or, or, you know, a other president saying only, only three people have got it. It's going to go away soon. Tell us about monkeypox. Let's start off with the history. How do we get monkeypox? Yeah, interesting, uh, Rob. So uh, monkeypox is uh, an illness um, that uh, is endemic, meaning you can find it more commonly um, in uh, Central Africa and also in Western Africa. It was identified um, in monkeys uh, in the late 50s. Um, and um, it, But monkeys aren't really the natural host. It's probably some rodent. They can't really say. 
uh, or find, you know, where this virus usually hangs out when it's not infecting uh, a primate like us. Um, but, uh, but it's endemic and you'll have a few thousand cases a year in uh, Central and West Africa. And over the years, uh, you know, every once in a while, um, you'll have someone that's um, either visiting other parts of the world from West or Central Africa and then develop signs and symptoms of monkeypox. And that's usually, you know, reported widely. Uh, we've had an exported case, uh, you know, somebody who's become ill with monkeypox in, let's say, the UK or in the US. Um, it can be uh, that somebody travels to those parts of um, the world and become uh, come in contact with either an infected animal or, or a person that has monkeypox. And we can talk later about how it's transmitted, but, you know, they get inoculated, meaning they become exposed, and then um, they haven't yet developed signs and symptoms because it's still incubating. They return home, later develop, you know, the signs and symptoms of the illness and are identified. What's very different about uh, the monkeypox um, today uh, is that uh, we're not talking about, you know, one or two cases exported from endemic areas, but we're talking as of today, over you know, 200 uh, cases reported in different parts of the world, um, many countries in Europe, um, in, North, uh, in North America, Canada and the U.S., um, in Australia, and, um, and many of these cases uh, having no travel connection to endemic regions of the world. You know, these people haven't traveled to Central or West Africa, mean, meaning that there's local transmission of, um, of monkeypox in uh, many of the communities that are now reporting these cases. About uh, the monkeypox um, today uh, is that uh, we're not talking about, you know, one or two cases exported from endemic areas, but we're talking as of today over, you know, 200 uh, cases reported in different parts of the world, um, many countries in Europe, um, in North America, in North America, Canada and the U.S., um, in Australia, and, um, and many of these cases uh, having no travel connection to endemic regions of the world. You know, these people haven't traveled to Central or West Africa, mean, meaning that there's local transmission of, um, of monkeypox in uh, many of the communities that are now reporting these cases. And we are not immune uh, from this in the United States. Uh, we had our first reported case um, in Massachusetts. And, uh, and now there are cases reported in uh, California, Washington State, a presumed case in Florida. Um, there are cases of monkeypox in the U.S. So just to give it, go back to the, to the global perspective, of course, I always try and find a reason to blame the U.K. for something in each podcast, and you beat me <laughs> to it. But uh, certainly CDC are saying it's reported currently in Portugal, Spain, Sweden, Italy, and the United Kingdom. And to your point, it was on May the 18th that the Massachusetts Department of Public Health confirmed that single case of monkeypox uh, virus infection. So, you know, theoretically, if we go back to COVID, that was patient number one. Um, I'm over here on the left coast and uh, certainly out of Sacramento, they're talking about they're dealing with an active case over there. So, yeah, it's spreading. But let's talk about signs and symptoms and risk factors, Alex. Uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, sure. Uh, it, it's important. And actually, I think it's worth, you know, in being able to recognize the signs and symptoms is important, especially for healthcare personnel, uh, EMS or healthcare personnel on the front line. Um, I like to uh, talk about this in this paradigm of identify, isolate, and inform. Um, and you know, we can talk more about those elements. But what you're asking in terms of signs and symptoms is um, is uh, you know in the identify category. And so, uh, typically, what happens if you've become uh, in contact with someone? 
who uh, has monkeypox. And, and I'll tell you, it's not that easy to contract. It does require close contact um, with somebody's you know, respiratory secretions or heavy droplets or because people develop this rash with blisters. If the blister breaks, that fluid has monkeypox virus in it. And if you get exposed to that, uh, get it on your own, you know, mucous membranes, eyes, nose, mouth, a cut in your skin, um, you can uh, become infected. And uh, there's an incubation period. You know, that means that you've become uh, infected with the virus, but you yet you have not yet developed signs and symptoms. And the incubation period um, can be anywhere from, let's say, 5 to 21 days. Uh, maybe it's more typically, uh, you know, 7 to 14 days. But um, when, uh, when that incubation period is over, if you've been exposed to the virus and you're infected, you'll start to have generalized flu-like illness. You'll feel achy. You'll feel tired. Uh, you'll develop a fever. Um, and, and one of the uh, signs uh, that uh, would also be worrisome then is uh, the development of uh, swollen lymph nodes. You know, swollen lymph nodes in your neck, uh, under your arms, this general what we call lymphadenopathy. So if you come, into, uh, come in contact with a, a patient or you're interviewing a patient who says, yeah, I don't feel well, you know, myalgia is achy, oh, and I've got these swollen lymph nodes, I've had a fever. And then the, the telltale sign really is the development of the rash. Um, and uh, you can uh, develop this rash sometimes first on your face. Um, and uh, it'll start kind of very just red macules and then become raised and then develop a blister and the blister gets filled with pus. And you've seen these pictures on the Internet um, for monkeypox. You know, it is a cousin of smallpox. It is not smallpox. It is not that can't make you as sick as smallpox. But if you look at pictures, you'll see, you know, these uh, these blisters with pus in them. Um, and, uh, and they'll, you know, again, can start on your face and they'll kind of spread to the rest of your body, uh, arms, uh, legs, face, maybe more involved than your chest and abdomen. Um, but, uh, but, you know, in, based on how you might have come in contact, Rob. So if, for example, um, you asked about risk factors. Um, so it turns out in this particular uh, outbreak that's being tracked, um, uh, the community of uh, men that have sex with men, actually are disproportionately affected. It's, it's more commonly being found in, the, in that community. Now, I want to underscore that doesn't mean that uh, that's the only community that can, that can get monkeypox or that if you get monkeypox, it has any, anything to do uh, with your um, you know, sexual behavior. But it's, it is a way, it, I'm underscoring this point to say that if the rash was to develop you know, in your groin area and you know, your upper legs or something like that, it may be because that's you know, where you've come in contact with infectious bodily fluids and that may be where the rash is starting. So, um, so for clinicians, I mean, EMS personnel, but uh, anyone on the front lines of healthcare, um, you know, people that are presenting with these what I'm calling, going to call constitutional signs and symptoms, the fever, the muscle aches, the swollen lymph nodes. Um, if you then also have a rash in the genital area, you know, which could be confused for, with a lot of things. It could be confused with herpes. It could be confused with a chancroid. It can be confused with, you know, uh, other um, recognized uh, sexually transmitted infections. Monkeypox is not a sexually transmitted infection, but you might first see the rash there. So it's another thing to be alert or, or, or aware about. Okay, thank you for, for explaining that. If I take us back to 2018 BC, and of course BC means before COVID, and I think about uh, the Ebola potential pandemic, and I remember in my organisation we had an ambulance that was kitted out in all the plastic wrap you could imagine, 
Um, we called it the Ebola coaster. It was on standby in case we needed to go and, uh, you know, and, and retrieve an Ebola patient. Thankfully, we didn't. And I'm obviously, in Emory, of course, you were closer to that than, than the rest of us. But in terms of the sort of controls in EMS care, if we are sending an ambulance and a crew to retrieve, collect, pick up a patient that may have monkeypox, what are those considerations? Yeah, it's good. It's a good question, Rob. So the first thing I'll say is that um, in many communities, uh, there are um, specialty teams in EMS uh, that would be prepared because they've had special education, they've had special training, they're maintaining their proficiencies in uh, certain procedures. Uh, they have policies in place to help prevent uh, exposure, you know, to infectious bodily fluids. So in many of the communities. Uh, there are specialty teams that will transport these patients. Um, and in many communities, there are uh, hospitals that are um, designated to assess these kinds of patients, what we call high-consequence infectious disease patients. Um, and so, uh, you know, the first thing I'll say, Rob, for any EMS agency is if um, you come in contact with somebody who you think has uh, monkeypox, and just to, uh, you know, take the longer story I gave you before and maybe shorten it. You know, if they have fever, swollen lymph nodes, and a rash that you think is suspect, and they've traveled to some part of the world um, that's known to have monkeypox, or they think they've come in contact with somebody that has monkeypox, you know, that would be somebody that for the EMS responder or for anybody else, you'd say, oh, well, there's some concern that this person has monkeypox. So uh, precautions that you need to take. Uh, first, again, I think it's important so that people don't get alarmed. This is not a, a, a disease that's readily transmitted. It's not that easy to transmit through casual interaction and casual contact. But what you have to do is uh, protect yourself from exposure to infectious bodily fluids. Now, this is something that EMS frontline providers know how to do, and they do it every day. Um, but it means uh, protecting yourself from exposure to the, you know, a patient's respiratory secretions. And if they have a rash, um, it's important to not come in contact with the fluid, you know, from those vesicles. I'll say that you can also transmit monkeypox if through, let's say, soiled clothing or soiled linens, um, because the the fluid from those vesicles can remain on the clothing or the or and the you know the bed linens or something else. And if someone else comes in contact with that, you can potentially you know get it through that kind of uh, contact as well. So, Rob, um, what does it mean for EMS? Well, we talk about implementing a hierarchy of controls. And among those hierarchy of controls is selecting um, the right standard and transmission-based precautions. And so for monkeypox, it is recommended that all standard precautions be implemented in addition to uh, contact precautions. Um, and then um, really, I would say out of an abundance of caution, implementation of uh, airborne precautions, which means wearing of a, a NIOSH-approved, fit-tested N95 respirator, and then eye protection, um, so face shield or goggles. Um, those are, uh, that is the kind of PPE uh, ensemble or PPE kit that would be recommended for EMS personnel making patient contact with somebody they presume has smallpox or is, uh, sorry, uh, presumed has monkeypox or is um, uh, confirmed to have monkeypox. In terms of, and you've heard this term before in COVID, Rob, right? Source control. And, and, uh, and what source control means is what can we do um, that will prevent the uh, patient from more readily uh, sharing infectious bodily fluids with us as, as uh, healthcare uh, personnel? Um, so it's advisable to put a surgical mask on the patient, similar to what we 
do with COVID, right? So monkeypox patient, put a surgical uh, mask on the patient. And if there is a rash uh, that you can see, um, trying to put some kind of barrier protection there, um, uh, you know, a cloth, a chucks pad, something else to, to cover that rash, to prevent uh, the leaking fluid from you know, getting on the EMS provider's uh, PPE or equipment in the ambulance is really you know, ideal. That, those, those two things, uh, the source control and the appropriate PPE ensemble are important. There are other elements of, of a hierarchy of controls that can be valuable. Um, you know, having adequate ventilation in the back of the ambulance, we advise, you know, turning on the exhaust fans in the back and trying to have introduction of fresh air into the back of the ambulance. Again, most of these cases are being transmitted through really close contact with respiratory secretions or the fluid. Um, but, uh, you know, the fewer personnel that have to make patient contact, the better. If you can uh, separate the driver compartment from the patient compartment, um, you know, that adds an additional layer of, um, of uh, safety. But, uh, but the key, you know, for this and really any other communicable disease is uh, prevent exposure to infectious bodily fluids. And for EMS, that means standard plus contact plus airborne precautions and eye protection and source control, surgical mask on the patient, and, um, and protective barriers to, uh, to try and protect you from the fluid in those vesicles. Alex, great answer. Thank you. We're just going to take a second to have a message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. That was our sponsor message. I'm here with Dr. Alex Isakoff, and uh, we're talking about monkeypox. Uh, there's an article on ems1.com in which I just synthesized all of the information that's come out from CDC and from others and from NETEC, etc. And also in the article are a number of links to all of the documents that we have up so far. And also a webinar, which is the Eyes Have It, Identify, Isolate and Inform. Uh, you mentioned that earlier, Alex, and hopefully people will click on that. It's a YouTube uh, video. But uh, just uh, recap for us, Identify, Isolate and Inform. Can you inform us about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, we talked about identify, um, recognizing signs and symptoms of illness, putting it together with recent contact with uh, re you know, recent contact with a person uh, that may have monkeypox or travel to, a, to an area where there is a widespread monkeypox transmission. The isolate piece is trying to protect the uh, healthcare personnel uh, responding to the patient. Um, from exposure to their infectious bodily fluids to the implementation of a hierarchy of controls. And informing, uh, Rob, is uh, letting people know that you have concern that this person may have monkeypox and, you know, poses a, uh, uh, a risk of transmitting a, what I'm going to call a high-consequence infectious disease. Um, and, uh, and so what does that mean? Well, that means, you, you know how an EMS response uh uh, goes in the U.S., Rob, there are emergency responders, first responders that arrive, sometimes a different agency that's coming to transport the patient. Um, and there is a lot of, you know, personnel potential contact with, with a patient. And so the first thing, if you're suspecting this, is you need to inform 
uh, your responding uh, personnel to, hey, um, we think that this person might have uh, monkeypox, so let's make sure that we're taking uh, the appropriate uh, precautions and you know, uh, implementing the right infection prevention measures. Uh, the other groups that you would like to inform um, is clearly your own supervisory personnel that uh, you may be on scene a little bit longer, or if you um, already have a procedure to inform the public health authority that you have a potentially uh, a potential uh, monkeypox uh, case. Um, that would be uh, an important, in, you know, information to provide. And then uh, the the last is if if it is your agency that is going to be transporting the patient somewhere for further evaluation and care, then certainly uh, en route as part of your entry note, you know, inform the receiving facility that you suspect um, that this patient may have monkeypox uh, because of a travel history, because of signs and symptoms of illness, because of a, a rash that you can't otherwise explain. And all of it, that inform component is uh, important to uh protect others from having uh, an unprotected exposure to somebody who potentially has monkeypox. Let's just talk about public health as well, because I think public health have been very unfairly beaten up during the whole COVID pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, this one puts them back on deck absolutely front and centre. And EMS, of course, is the, as I always call it, the Marine Corps to the Public Health Navy. But of course, <laughs> we've got to be in touch with these guys and they've got to be doing their thing as well, right? Oh yeah, absolutely right. I mean, uh, I mean, core public health principles is the way in which um, uh, you know we will prevent further transmission of monkeypox and other high consequence infectious diseases um, into the community, and uh, and so they will immediately take an interest in um, make, in helping uh, the team uh, get the appropriate diagnostics. I don't mean getting testing done in the field, but um, once public health is alerted, they're going to work with um, whomever is caring for the patient at the time to, uh, to obtain um, fluid samples and then send them to the appropriate laboratory so that a diagnosis can be made. And if it proves that the patient doesn't have monkeypox, then they'll help by um, you know, getting the uh, alternate diagnosis. Um, so that's important. They'll also then work to interview that person, the patient to find out um, you know, where they may have traveled, whom they've had contact with, where they may have uh, been exposed to someone with monkeypox so that, um, so that through this kind of case investigation and contact tracing process, you identify potentially the source um, and you identify others who may be at risk for having contracted the illness. Um, the public health uh, community are also the ones that once they've identified people at high risk for having been exposed to monkeypox, also then are the is the community that will have access to the vaccine that could prevent uh, any of us who may have had close contact, unprotected close contact with somebody infected with monkeypox. Um, public health will, can provide vaccine um, to help prevent us from contracting the illness. It's an important point, you know, Rob. Important for EMS, healthcare personnel, and others um, that. Uh, you know, we often think of vaccines as a way to prevent illness and uh, the receiving of vaccines long before we would come in contact with somebody that, you know, has an illness. But uh, for um, monkeypox, and this is also true for smallpox, although smallpox has been eradicated except in biosafety uh, level four laboratories, um, the uh, post-exposure vaccination is also protective, can protect you from getting uh, ill, from contracting the illness, 
And, you know, within a certain window, time window, five days is roughly what they're saying. And even if you get post-exposure vaccination greater than five days, it could help in um, uh, getting a more mild form of the illness. And so, uh, Rob, as you've said, um, public health plays a, a vital role um, uh, in this. But, you know, uh, not alone, right? Um, you need uh, astute clinicians in the EMS community and in this country's emergency departments and their ambulatory care clinics to be um, alert to the possibility of monkeypox if they're, you know, taking care of a patient with fever and rash and they're not, uh, you know, certain what that might be, especially if there's been some travel history. Um, so you need, uh, you need really a strong interface between the EMS community, the health system, hospitals, clinics, and the public health community. Um, to you know, to manage these types of events. Alex, thank you for uh, all of that uh, monkeypox information. As I said that on the uh, the notes, we've got the links to the various uh, publications and information. Please take a moment to uh, to look at that. Let's just change tack for a second. Uh, staying with infectious stuff for the last two years, of course, you and I have been watching COVID very, very closely through our federal group. We've watched the peaks, we've watched the troughs, the highs, the lows, and we're starting to see an uptick again. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing an uptick again, Rob. And uh, I don't think any of your listeners would be surprised that there's an uptick. Uh, there's nobody in public health that uh, is surprised that there's uh, an uptick. And, uh, you know, it so happens um, this through this whole pandemic, as you've noted, I mean, we've seen waves of cases, uh, you know, spikes, surges. Uh, and then uh, those spikes and surges tail off and you get into what we call a nadir and everybody's more comfortable. The case rates are far lower. The numbers of hospitalizations are far lower. And, you know, it's really been a wave, uh, one wave, you know, after another. And so um, we are about ready, you know, based on how many weeks of uh, lower COVID-19 incidents uh, that we've recently experienced, we are ready for another, you know, spike of cases. And we're seeing it. Um, our, our friends in the Northeast uh, were probably uh, leaders in seeing this uh, um, increased numbers of, of cases being reported, but, um, but we're not immune in the rest of the country and, and case numbers are um, really up uh, in the majority of states already in the U.S. So that's not a surprise. You know, are we in a better place than we've been uh, in other times during the pandemic uh, in experiencing this spike? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, 70% of, uh, of Americans now um, are uh, vaccinated, uh, up, up to date or fully vaccinated, um, which is a, a great uh, number. Now, CDC is changing that definition of what it means to be up to date. And so some of us have some catching up to do, but, um, but a large proportion of the U.S. population is vaccinated. That is great. Because um, it, uh, one thing that we know vaccines do is they help prevent people from dying from COVID and they help uh, prevent people from getting more seriously ill and having need for hospitalization. And that's critically important uh, because another thing that we have seen in previous surges of COVID-19 is um, hospitals getting overwhelmed with uh, patients that has, um, and EMS systems too. Uh, uh, all of our EMS friends know that when hospitals are um, in crisis or are surging, um, it's impacting EMS operations. You're having delays in transfer of care in, these, in the emergency departments. It's harder to get your ambulances uh, back in service to respond to the next 911 call. 
Um, but the good news is uh, we, while we are seeing some uptick in hospitalizations as well, uh, we're not nearly seeing the number of hospitalizations that we had seen, let's say, in the bad old days of, of an Omicron surge in January. Um, and, uh, and so for, for now, while there may be some uh, exceptions in some communities, um, the health systems don't appear to be terribly overwhelmed by um, people infected with COVID that have need to be hospitalized. That's great news. The last piece uh, that I'll say is great news is there's also, in addition to having effective vaccine um, and recommendations about you know, when you should get another jab, um, there are also uh, now more recently uh, oral antiviral therapies um, for people that have mild to moderate um, COVID infection uh, who don't have need to be hospitalized. But if you are in that group and you, are, uh, you have underlying medical problems um, uh, and you're at risk for having more serious illness, uh, you can get a prescription for, um, for antiviral regimen like within five days of onset of symptoms. So people have probably heard of uh, Paxlovid. That's great. You know, the data uh, shows about an 80% reduction um, in hospitalizations among, um, you know, at-risk patients who take Paxlovid. So numbers are going up, Rob, but uh, there's still a lot of good news at this phase of the pandemic. Uh, you know, if, we're, if we want to talk about, you know, one thing we got to still keep our eye on, it's long COVID, right? These uh, extended symptoms CDC just published in its MMWR today or today, I think. Um, the, uh, that uh, one in uh, five people um, will experience uh, uh, long COVID or, or symptoms that persist more than four weeks after your initial infection. And if you're uh, actually, I think the one in four number, Rob, is for people that were older than 65. And, you know, for the rest of us, it was one in five. Um, but uh, that's still uh, something we're learning about and something I think we should keep a close eye on. So, um, you know, I guess that's my little plug to still do uh, what you can to try and prevent getting infected. No, thank you for mentioning that. I think actually people listening probably know people that have or are exhibiting those long COVID symptoms already. So, you know, I think it's a very real thing. This podcast, by the way, people out there isn't meant to depress, it's meant to inform because, you know, informed means we're ready to deal with it. And so, uh, you know, challenging my inner Churchill, you know, we've got to keep calm and carry on but obviously with knowledge and with caution. So listen, Alex, uh, half an hour has gone by. I told you these conversations uh, just fly past. If we want to follow you, Alex, and, uh, and get in touch with you, how can we do that? Oh, um, so, it's, so one thing I would point people to uh, are EMS resources at the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center at NETEC. Um, as, as you noted, uh, in participating in um, uh, NHTSA's Office of EMS calls, I'm uh, the EMS lead for NITEC. And so uh, we're trying to uh, keep up-to-date uh, information uh, re uh, related, for example, to this uh, monkeypox uh, outbreak um, on that website. And uh, we want to be sure that there are relevant um, materials there for the EMS community. Um, uh, another way to reach me is uh, to um, email me, but it's an archaic form of uh, communication, isn't it, Rob? But uh, a Isaacov at emory.edu is another way to, uh, to reach out, and I'm always uh, happy to, to field questions there. Um, I, I probably need to, uh, you know, to up my game a little, Rob, and get into social media or something. You know, maybe uh, start another uh, what is maybe becoming an older form of communication and start a Twitter account or, uh, so that I can, uh, you know, see how many uh, f 
followers I'm, I might get in this uh, emerging infections space. I'd, in the I'd, I'd be delighted to help you uh, gain a followership, Alex. And, and that kind of brings me on to uh, how you get hold of me. Of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also over on uh, Twitter at UKRobL1. I've also got a TikTok account. Can you believe that? And so you can catch me at any of those things. But remember, if you're following us, please make sure you give us a five-star rating. We do love to go up the uh, searchability charts. And don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. That's not a memory test, Alex. I've got it written down here, by the way. Alex Isakoff, thank you so much for sparing the time to uh, talk to us. It's uh, important that we realize that uh, we're a part of the monkeypox and COVID generation now. We need to know, we need to be advised, we need to be aware. And so thank you very much for helping us well, uh, thanks, pass that no, on. Thanks, thanks for uh, making this opportunity available. I, I think it's important for our EMS community to be as absolutely informed about this as they can be. Um, that's the best way they can uh, be protected. It's the best uh, way for them to um, to help other emergency responders be safe and take good care of patients. And, um, and I do appreciate uh, the invitation to join your show here, Rob. Um, I can't wait to meet you in person someday. It'll happen someday, and I'm sure there'll be an alcoholic beverage flowing back and forth at some point. Uh, but for the moment, uh, he's been Alex Isakoff. I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been EMS One Stop. And until next time, bye for now. Bye.